Well, good morning, everyone. Sabrina asked me this morning if I was nervous, and uh, I couldn't really figure out why. I'm not nervous. And I was like, I felt a little off, and I was like, why? And I realized it's been three months since I preached here. So, um, yeah, October was the last time I preached, so it's, it feels a bit like I'm, I'm missing something. I, I missed that preaching, that, uh, you know, getting into God's Word with everyone. So I'm very excited, very blessed to be here this morning uh, to walk with you all through Jonah. Before we get into it this morning, I want to ask you something. What's something that you had to do that you didn't really want to do? You know, is it uh, you had to get up yesterday and you had to go do some work on your car and you didn't really want to do that on a Saturday morning? For me, is it, you know, do I really want to change a poopy diaper? Or, you know, am I going to try and get out of it and get my wife to do it? Or is it, you know, you don't really want to have that hard conversation with a friend or with your parents, someone in your life? What it really is for me is something I don't really like to do is deal with conflict. In my internship in Bible college, I found out pretty quickly through a leadership course that one of my issues is that I run from conflict. That's how I resolve conflict. I run. I don't like it. I don't want to deal with it. It makes me feel, you know, you get that weird feeling when someone's arguing. You don't want to have that hard conversation. But knowing that I was training to be a pastor, I was thinking that I can't stay that way. So since then, I have worked at it, and I don't run as hard or fast. And for the most part, I do face conflict in my life. It might take me a little longer than most to address the conflict, but it's something that I have to deal with that I don't really want to deal with. And let me ask you another question. Think of something, think, think of a time when you really blew it. Think of a time in your life when you really, really messed up. Now, we don't have to get any details about that or what that looks like, but if you're like me, the longer you think on that moment, if it's really bad, it probably doesn't take long for that sense of guilt, that sense of shame or anxiety that you felt in that moment to start to sink in, start to come back to you as you think about a moment that you really, really messed up. Here in this, in this chapter, we're in chapter 3 now of Jonah. And we see Jonah after he's messed up, after he's really, really messed up. I mean, God literally called his prophet to go preach in Nineveh. Jonah runs as far west as he can. And he would rather die than tell the sailors about his God. And he gets swallowed by a fish. And he prays to God. And now he's outside this fish here. He didn't want to do this. And he messed up. And we've seen so much already in this book. We've seen that he had a downward spiral spiritually, and we learn how sin can twist us up. We've seen, as I said, that Jonah didn't even want to tell his sailors about his faith. He would rather die, but that we can't get in the way of God's will. And we've seen that God saves as he saved Jonah with the fish, and what that means for us, that God saves. Now, this morning, I want to talk about that God redeems. He doesn't just save, he redeems. In my case, I had, you know, you can look up in the dictionary. In my case, I went online to dictionary.com, typed in redeem to see what came up. For redeem, it simply means to recover something. We like to redeem the time. That's a common saying. 
the time gets away from you, you have fun at work, or you waste some time, you need to redeem that time. To redeem something is to recover something for a better purpose. As Christians, even though we get, we're in a world full of sin, we serve a God who redeems us, who redeems things for his purposes. No matter how twisted they are, no matter how much sin has corrupted them, God can and will redeem them for his purposes. So Jonah, in the first chapter, God calls him. He says, get up and go to Nineveh. Jonah gets up and he runs. This time, God says, get up and go to Nineveh. Jonah gets up and he actually goes to Nineveh. And this is the first time we actually see Jonah you know, stay true to his word, actually do something somewhat righteous. Because in chapter 2, verse 9, in his prayer to God, he says, I will fulfill what I have vowed. So in the fish, he vows to God, okay, I will go through with this. Like, you've got my attention. I will do this. So he actually goes and he fulfills those vows. When he enters Nineveh, he almost begrudgingly preaches. He enters a day and he starts to preach. And from what we know in the Hebrew, it's only five words that he preaches to them. That's all we're told he says to them. And the whole city turns and repents to God. And if you want to know how great of a miracle this is that we're reading about and that we're learning about this morning, it said that before Nineveh was destroyed, it, was, it had a circumference of 60 miles. So St. John's, just for your reference, is currently 446 square kilometers. At that moment, Nineveh would have been 740 square kilometers. So this is how big the city was. Jonah obviously visited before the city was destroyed, and it's likely that he visited while it was experiencing that growth. The, the end of Jonah tells us there are at least 120,000 people in that city. The actual population of St. John's itself, not the surrounding metro area, but just the city of St. John's, is roughly 113,000 people. So you basically take St. John's and half of paradise, and that's the size, that's the amount of people you have repenting to God in this moment. You can't tell me that this is not a miraculous move of God right now, that 120,000 people at least have turned to God in this chapter. Someone just walks into the city and starts proclaiming, in 40 days, this city will be overthrown. And that's it. And they turn to God. And like I said, I believe it's in this moment that we see that God redeems more than any other time. And Jonah is leading up to this moment, to when Nineveh would repent. No matter how bad they are, no matter how bad we are, no matter how bad people are in this world, God will and can redeem us. He will do it. It doesn't matter what we think of them. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of them. It doesn't matter what's in their life. God can and will redeem us. He will redeem the people. Now, you might be reading this and think, I've never done something that bad when I got you to think about bad things in your life. I've never run from a literal call from God on my life. I've never ran so far, and I'd rather, you know, die than tell someone about the gospel, what God's done in my life. Let me ask you, have you wronged someone in your life? Maybe on your way here, you had an argument with your spouse, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend. Maybe you have family issues going on. Maybe sometime this past week, you got mad at someone for cutting you off in traffic, said some words or thought some things you probably shouldn't have thought. 
See, the thing is, we're all guilty of sin. We all have sin in our lives. And we might read this. I don't want us reading this thinking, I'm not that bad. No, you might not have been so bad that you got swallowed by a fish. But you are so bad that you sinned against a holy and just God. And so am I. But God redeems. See, Jonah is looking at, Jonah doesn't want the city to repent. He doesn't want them to turn to God. We see that later in chapter 4, if you read a little bit ahead, Jonah says, I've tried to forestall this. I tried to stall this. He knows God's character. He knows that God is willing to relent if people turn and repent to him. That God is a God who redeems. See, God redeems our actions. And no matter how bad the things that we've done, God will redeem them for his purposes. These people in this city are known for doing horrible, brutal, torturous, barbaric things. I won't get into it this morning, but if you do a simple study on the Assyrians, it won't take long for you to find out what they did to their enemies in the cities that they captured. And from a human perspective, from a human perspective, Jonah seems to have every good reason to not want them to come to God. They were Israel's enemies. They did unspeakable things to the people around them. Why in the world would I want them to be saved? Why would I want God to forgive them? If anyone deserves God's wrath and judgment, it's these people. But God redeems. Sometimes our actions are disobedient. Like I said, sometimes we have an argument with our spouse. Sometimes we snap when we shouldn't snap. Sometimes we treat people poorly. Sometimes we just don't act like we should act. We all know that. But God can redeem those actions for his glory. Okay? So it doesn't matter what you've done if you turn to God. And let me just ask you. How have you been disobedient in other ways? Have you heard a sermon and maybe you thought, man, that pastor really gave it to so-and-so today without really thinking how it applies to your life, how that word should speak to you? What about being prideful in what you know of God in your own theology and your understanding of Scripture over other denominations and our brothers and sisters in this city? Having that unrighteous pride of that you know better Have we withheld the gospel from people or refused to pray for them? Or have we looked at a certain someone or a group of people and said, what's the point of talking to them? They're never going to get saved anyways. What's the point of even bringing up God to them, telling them of Jesus? See, all these things are disobedient to God's word, but he can redeem them. And maybe you're even here this morning or you're listening online and you're running from God's call in your life. Now you're running from what God says that how you should be living your life and what it says about turning to him in faith. Again, God can and will redeem that. You can't escape a God who is everywhere and who is all-knowing. We see that in Jonah. Jonah couldn't escape from God what he wanted him to do. So Jonah goes into Nineveh and begins to preach. And his preaching is very effective. 
I don't know about you, but I don't know how you would feel if I got up and I preached five words to you this morning and went and sat back down. You would probably think I was nuts. I didn't prepare. I didn't know what I was doing. But Jonah goes into the city and he preaches five words. But it's also likely that Jonah's story could have possibly traveled to the city before him. And if you remember from my last sermon, I know it was all the way back in October, but the Ninevites worshiped the fish god. So you have Jonah, who runs from God's calling, gets swallowed by a fish, then experiences God's mercy by being saved and giving a second chance, and going to the city that worships the fish god, where they may have likely heard that, hey, there's a guy that survives in being inside of a fish, and his skin could have likely been turned, could have been bleached by the stomach acid, getting credit to his story. Do you see where I'm going with this? By Jonah running away, it only strengthened his message to the Ninevites. God redeemed the disobedience of a reluctant prophet, all for his glory, so that a city would be saved. Jonah's disobedience only served to empower his preaching to the city. But now I'm not telling you this morning that we should go and just be disobedient so God can redeem us. That's not the point here. And this is written about in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, where it says, we should, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? God will redeem our actions, but it doesn't mean we go out and we disobey more just so people can experience his glory more. No. We are made alive in Christ, so we should be living according to the Spirit. God will redeem our actions, and he, he redeems people. Starting in chapter 3, verse 5, we see that people heard Jonah's message, and they believed God. They believed in the God that sent Jonah. They believed in that message. And I told you about these people, how evil they really were. If we knew what they were, if there were people like this and we knew about them in this this society today, we would be absolutely appalled at the atrocity of their actions. But no matter how bad people may seem, no matter how unsavory they may be to us, they are not outside of being redeemed by God. Anyone who turns to God in faith and repentance will be saved. If you turn to God and you repent of your sins, God will save you. And our sins are not essentially against each other. Those thoughts you thought about someone, the argument you got with someone. Yes, we can sin against each other, but our sin is ultimately against a just and holy God who is infinite. And there's a simple example we can use for this. If you were to go to a used car lot and you scratch one of their cars, you would get some sort of penalty if you were caught. Maybe not that bad because it's a used car. Now, if you went to a new car lot, let's say you know, Chevy or Ford, and you scratch one of their brand new 2020 or 2021 vehicles, you would, you would serve a, much, a bit of a stiffer penalty. And if you went to an even more of a premium car lot, if you went to, you know, say, Mercedes or Audi, or you scratched one of their vehicles, you, 
your penalty will likely increase even more. So with God being infinite and our sin against him, that's your penalty. Is that you're sinning against an infinite God and that we can't make that up. And God is completely just in how he judges us or how he forgives us because of that. But here it is again, even though God is just in judging us or forgiving us, if you turn to him in repentance, he will forgive you. He will redeem you. Nineveh turned back to God. It says very clearly that they believed in God. And if we go down further to how the king responded, it says the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. I don't know about you, but that seems like a king who's not concerned about what his position is at that moment. That's a king that's gripped in his heart of the evil that he's done. And we see that in his decree that he issues, issues out to the city, asking everyone to turn away from the evil and violence that's in their hands. And he asks them to call on God urgently. That word urgently can also mean violently. This isn't a just, the people aren't just saying, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I did wrong. This is nothing flippant about this at all. The king is asking the people to call violently and urgently on God. To give you an example, every Wednesday, Malwin Mission, our church planting mission, we have a praying through the Psalms every Wednesday afternoon. This week we just finished Psalm, four, Psalm 5, sorry, but when we did Psalm 4, I shared a very personal story about my wife and I, when we first got pregnant, we miscarried. And I took, it, took that very hard, extremely hard, actually. And I can remember after getting the news that no, we were, it was likely we were going to miscarry, I can remember being on my bathroom floor, pouring out my heart to God. And I can tell you, I have never prayed so hard and so passionately in my life as I did in that moment. It was a violent prayer, not in the words I used, but in that passion and that desire and that urgency to meet with God and to have God hear and answer my prayer. That's the type of prayer that these people were called to do, to urgently and violently call on God so that he may hear them. Because the king even says, he says, who knows? God may relent. The king doesn't know. He doesn't know if God will turn. But as Elder Steve Da preached earlier in Joel 2, we see that God is a God who relents. In Joel chapter 2, in the ending of 13, the beginning of 14, we read, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent? Again, that, that wording there, who knows? But he is a God who is willing to relent should people turn to him. They didn't know. But even if they would be destroyed, they figured we will repent anyways. That's all they knew. It's the same as me coming in here or going out into this city and saying, you're all sitters, you're going to hell. 
And that's it. What Jonah preached is the same thing. There was no, there was nothing leading to say that God could possibly forgive them. Jonah just preached about their destruction. So these Ninevites faced with the destruction were just saying, what else do we have? God may return, may forgive us. We don't know. And they urgently cried out to him. And that city repented. And that's the same as me going out again and saying, you're all sinners and you're going to hell. And then every worst possible sinner, actually every sinner in this city, turning to God. That's every drug trafficker, every pedophile, every sex trafficker, every person that we look down upon and you might not want, possibly want to be saved. That would be the same as them turning to God and being gloriously saved. And that makes us uncomfortable. And that's good. Because the gospel is uncomfortable. Because it says that there is extremely bad news, that we can't make it up to God. No matter where you find yourself, no matter how much sin you may think is or isn't in your life, you cannot make that up to God. And that means an eternity of God's wrath. And that is really, really bad news. But that makes the good news so much sweeter. That makes the gospel so much sweeter because we are helpless. The city of Nineveh was helpless and they had no sign that God would forgive them. But what are we told? What are we told? What do we get to go out and proclaim to people? We get to say, if you repent, God will forgive you. He will redeem you. It doesn't matter what they've done in their life. We might not like it. We might be able to point our fingers at it. But what matters is where their faith is placed. If it's placed in Christ, then they will be redeemed. We will be redeemed. We don't get to choose whose life God works in. We don't get to choose who the Holy Spirit works in and whose life he convicts. We don't have that much control. But what we do know is that we can work alongside God's Spirit. We can be discerning. And we can know, as Jonah said, I knew that you are gracious God, again, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We can know God's character and who he wants to draw onto himself. God didn't withhold his salvation from the city, and we shouldn't withhold the gospel from anyone outside of these doors. Romans 10, to 9, 10 verses 9 to 12 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We serve a God who redeems our actions. When we mess up, when we screw up those horrible things in our past that not everyone might not know about, 
He can redeem that. He will redeem that. And he also redeems people, no matter how gross or grotesque their sin may be, their lives may be, he can redeem them if they turn to him. He is willing to redeem them. And he is just in doing so. This is the God that we serve. God redeems actions and people for his glory. That's why he does it. He does it for his glory, for his name's sake. By redeeming us, he reveals to the world that he is indeed gracious and loving, slow to anger, compassionate and willing to relent from disaster. One commentator notes that God relents here for no other reason than that of his own mercy and patience. Again, if you look into what the Assyrians would, were guilty of, none of us would have likely felt bad if that city was destroyed. But God was just in forgiving them because they turned to him. And it's for his name's sake so that they would know who he is. If you want to see this in Scripture, you can go to the Psalms. There is reference after reference after reference of God doing things for his name's sake, of answering prayers, of offering salvation, of giving guidance and leadership to men for his name's sake. Even 1 John 2, 12 says, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. God does this for his sake, but guess what? We reap the benefits of it. God saves us for his name's sake so that the world would know that he is merciful, that he is loving and compassionate. And then we get to reap that mercy and grace, not because of anything we've done, but because of who he is. It all goes back to God of who he is and what he has accomplished for his name's sake and that we can glorify him that we just get to reap the benefits of what he does. God redeems us. He redeems people. He has redeemed those of us in this room who have placed our faith in Christ. If there's anyone who hasn't, then I ask that you would think to do so. I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to your heart. That you will look to a God who is willing to, de- to redeem you should you only repent and turn to him. For his name's sake, so that he may be glorified. That this isn't about us, but it's about our God and how big, how great, and how loving he is. And there's one more thing in this passage that we need to look at. What does it mean that God relents? Does God just change his mind? Does he just look the other way? If God is all-knowing, then he can't really change his mind, can he? So is God all-knowing, or can he change his mind? See, something is revealed here about the character of God. At the end of chapter 3, it says, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So what are we dealing with here? If we say that the word of God is God-breathed, it is inspired, 
It is infallible, it is authoritative, that we can trust it, that it reveals God to us. What is this saying about God? First, we need to realize that God is infinite. So God created time. He is outside all time. And we live maybe 70 to 80 years if we're lucky. So we, have, we spend our 70 to 80 years trying to understand a God that's been around for all of time, and not just all of time, but beyond that. So from a human perspective, it looks very well that God changed his mind. And I think that's fair from a human perspective because we perceive things a certain way. So from our view, it looks like God has changed his mind, but God, being outside of all time, he knows what is, what was, and what will be all at once. He sees it all. Which means that God knew that Nineveh would repent. That God knew what would happen when he called Jonah, that Jonah would run, that he would refuse to give himself up on the boat, he would rather die in the ocean, and that he could then send a fish to save Jonah, which would then empower his message to go then preach to the Ninevites and that they would be saved. God knew all of this would happen. And he knew it in the same moment that was being played out in Jonah's life, in the Ninevites' life. So in a sense, God had already redeemed Jonah and Nineveh because he knew what was going to happen. Now, this doesn't mean that God is making you do the things you do. This doesn't mean that God is moving you like a little puppet figure with strings attached to you. It means that God knows the choices you're going to make. He's not forcing you to make them, but he knows the choices you're going to make, and then he can use those choices for, according to his purposes for his glory. And that's what we see here. He orchestrates Jonah's life. He knows the actions and the choices Jonah's going to make, so he orchestrates that for his purposes and he is ultimately the one that receives glory in the end. That's how big and how wonderful our God is, is that he knows the mistakes you're going to make. He knows what's going to happen to each of us when we walk outside these doors, the choices we're going to make. He knows what could happen to you this week, years down the road. And he knows that he, he will redeem those poor mistakes you make the poor choices you make. So what does this mean for us? It means that one, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And that simply means that when you confess and you turn to God, you are saved in that moment. You are justified in God's eyes. And you're being saved, you're being sanctified, you're being made more like Christ as you grow in your faith. And then when God finally undoes all of evil and we are glorified, we will be saved. And that means that we can trust and rest in God. We can rest in the redemption that he gives us. We can rest knowing that God will redeem anything that I screw up. Doesn't make it okay doesn't mean that I don't go to God in repentance, but that I can trust that God can use this for his glory even though I screw it up. 
And it means that we can't point our fingers at the city out here. It means that we can't point at certain groups and people and say, what's the point of preaching to them? What's the point of praying for this person? They're not going to listen anyways. It means that we can't be holier than thou and think that we have it all figured out. But it does mean that God does and that we can rest in that. We can rest in knowing that he redeems us and our actions and that he gets the glory for all of it. So rest in that. Rest that if you have placed your faith in Christ that he has redeemed you, he can redeem your past and he will redeem your future and your present for his glory. I want you to leave here, this, this, this place this morning, and know that if you place your faith in Christ, that you can rest in that assurance that he has saved you, that he has redeemed you, and that he will use you according to his purpose for his glory, which means it can only be a good thing. The trip there might not be completely enjoyable, but God will use it for good. And that means we don't let the past haunt us. Yes, you learn from it. Yes, you repent from the past, from what you've done. But don't let that same shame and guilt plague you and haunt you if you've handed that to God. Let him deal with that. Let him redeem that in your life. And trust that he will use it for good. That you didn't mess up God's plan. Jonah couldn't. And Jonah literally ran away. Hand it to God. Live like Christ according to the Holy Spirit. Know that God redeems and he has redeemed. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you for this passage of Jonah. Thank you for this opportunity to preach about you and how you redeem us. Father, may we leave this place challenged and convicted and maybe even encouraged about our role here and how to come alongside you in this city, how to preach and tell others about what you've done, about what it means. God, if even Nineveh would turn to you when there was no sign of forgiveness, how much more does it mean that we can go tell people that if you do repent, yes, there is forgiveness. There is mercy. There is grace from our God. And Lord, may we rest in you knowing that you will redeem our actions for your good, that you will redeem people in this city, in this province, for your purposes. And that doesn't ultimately rest on you, but that we simply get the joy of working with you. May you give us discernment, Lord, in how to do that. I ask that you would be with us as we leave this place, Lord, and that your word would just continue to guard us. In your name, Jesus.